Hi guys, you're very welcome along to another episode of the Locker Room Podcast. Uh, Kevin Morris here with you this week and I'm delighted to say that we've got uh, rugby coach Graeme Smith on with us as well. Um, just before we jump right in, we're going to chat about um, a bit around culture in team sports. Um, I just wanted to give a quick shout out to our sponsors who are Ripped. So Ripped is a software platform built for performance coaches and organisations with easy to use programming tools and training load, well-being and nutrition monitoring via the Ripped app. All of your coaching tools are in one place, streamlining your coaching, making it more accessible for your clients and athletes, and providing you with the insights you need to optimize performance. To find out more, head over to www.ripped.app and use the code all caps locker room to get your two month free trial. And Ripped is spelled R Y P T. Um, so I'm delighted to say we've got Graham Smith on today. Um, Graham is a very experienced rugby coach, he's previously worked with um England rugby as a youth development officer he's been all over the world as well um with regards to coaching um highlights of his career of course are winning a world cup title in 2014 with the England women um as the assistant coach for the senior team um and he's currently back now in in England with London Irish and with St Mary's um so absolutely delighted to have you on Graham how are you getting on I'm good thank you yeah good perfect um, yeah, yeah very, very excited to, to chat to you today about a bit of, around team culture. But um, I was just wondering if you could quickly just give a bit more of a background on your your own experience for, for everyone who's listening. The, the experience is long and varied. <laughs> uh, but as I say to people, that's just because I'm old. You know, <laughs> I, I've been around long enough to have those experiences and uh, uh, both uh, in, in, in a number of sports, uh, male and female, uh, but obviously rugby is the the passion um, that um, has lived with me since I started playing when I was about uh, about 18 um, and, um, you know, played to a reasonable level and uh, coached to a reasonable level. And, and through that coaching, uh, started as a youth development officer. So I've experienced all levels of development, all levels of, of, of performance. And, and I think that sometimes people get you know, um, mixed up between performance, elite, community, what is what and where does it fit and and, uh, and all the rest of it. But, um, you know, I'm now back in, in, in what I think is, um, is going to be elite performance, uh, where in Spain, I would have described it as community performance. Okay. And I won't try to pronounce the the, the group that you're with, CN Para Nobel. CN Poblenau, Club Natatio Poblenau. There you go. Okay, that's the the only bit of Spanish I'll ever know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, obviously you were over there for a couple of years and you've come back. And yeah, exactly as you say, um, great to hear that you've got such varied experience and. It's actually, you know, it's it's a, a great thing to have you on because I think we're going to chat a bit about how to create a winning team culture on on this episode. Um, and for you having such a broad range, you've got players who are just doing it for the fun, who are just there to, to take part, to players who want to and have gone on to win a World Cup. And it'd be very interesting to hear your thoughts on if there's a difference or what the difference is with regard to team culture in, in different things. So, um we might just kick off and what does team culture actually mean to you? What is it? What is it to do with? What are you trying to instill? Um, I actually, I, I honestly believe it comes away from sport and, and, and starts in life. 
Now, my dad was um, brought up in an era where nowadays he could well be classed as racist. He could well be classed as homophobic because of some of the things he may have said when he was growing up and when he was, you know, my father at the age of 30, 40, 50. But that's what he grew up with. And the thing that he instilled into me, though, was about discipline, respect, being aware of others, having good manners. Um, and, and I think that that is something that we're losing in society, good manners. You know, I've just been driving out with my wife this morning and you see people trying to cross the road of all ages. And they seem to think they have the right of way. And, and to me, that's just bad manners. It's, it's a lack of respect for the road and it's a lack of respect for the drivers. So I think it starts as early as possible. I think it starts in the home. I think it starts in the workplace. And I think it starts with the people who lead us. So it's a top down, culture is top down. Okay, and there are many teams I watch at the moment that I think have a toxic culture and it's easy to see. Um, and you can see the difference between two teams who have a positive and a negative culture. So for me, it, 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 I know we always quote them, but the All Blacks have their saying about good people make good All Blacks. Well, I think good people make good people. And I think that we have to have an environment. Not everybody's going to get on. Not everybody's going to like me. But the culture in the environment will start with respect. If you have respect for a person, you might not like them, you might not want to go and have a cup of coffee with them. But if you respect what they do, you'll still perform together, whether it's a coach-player relationship, player-player relationship. And so for me, uh, it is top-down, but there has to be buy-in. There has to be a vision, and everybody has to understand and share the vision. So the first, the first um, value that I think helps build culture is, is respect and, and honesty. And people are afraid of honesty. People don't like honesty because um, the truth hurts. And um, people misunderstand honesty for rudeness sometimes. And I understand both because I've crossed the boundaries on one to the other, okay? And, um, you know, I, I can be blunt, especially when I was a younger man. But if we're not, if you don't look in the mirror in the morning and be honest with yourself, then you're never going to be honest with anybody out on the street or in your team. Yeah, yeah. And it's a, it's a very interesting point that, you know, even from an outsider's point of view, you're able to spot what are good traits with regard to culture and, and respect and that kind of thing versus what are negative ones. And I guess you can only get so far on, on a negative basis of culture, eventually you're going to be found out and eventually, you know, things might break down. So um, it's definitely something to, to get in and to instill and to just really work on from the get go really, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and it, it's, there's, there's nothing wrong with arrogance. I think arrogance has a place. You have to have arrogance because if you don't have, if you don't have arrogance, you will lack confidence. They go hand in hand. But if you have arrogance without humility, 
then you have a problem player. And every team will need their princes and princesses. You know, without doubt. Normally, they're the player that brings something different, brings an X factor. But if they're the princess with a little bit of humility and understanding, self-awareness, they can play on it, but they also play with it. And they also know when is the time to be for the team. When it's the other way around and you get that arrogance without the humility, then that leads to selfishness. And that's one of the most decisive things in a team is, is a selfish player. And I know a lot of people would, would discuss um, that kind of coach-player relationship. And I think we'll definitely get to that. Um, but we talked a lot about here about that player-to-player relationship. So how do they get on with, with their own squad members? How do they get on with the teammates? Um, and obviously, you know, there's a, there's a lot of signs to show that they don't respect their other teammates, like, you know, showing up to late, late to training or not helping clean up afterwards and all these kind of smaller signs. But um, I guess because you've got you've had such a broad bit of experience from youth up to underage to senior as well. You know, it's I think it's a little bit simpler to convey what you want in a culture and why it's important and that you have to respect each other to adults. But it's a different thing to try and explain that to, to kids or to youth underage players. So um, do you find have you got a, a good method for each of those age groups or how do you try and kind of get them to work together? First thing is you have to manage the parents, which is the, the, the most difficult job in sport. Uh, second thing is you have to be able to point to good role models, okay, that, that the kids can take um, positives from. Um, and the third thing is you just have to keep reiterating poor behaviour. And too many people that do have poor behaviour, what they because they lack self-awareness, they lack awareness of others. And once you lack awareness of others, detrimental behavior, the individual that's displaying that detrimental behavior will have no idea how they're affecting the other 21 players. And you have to point it out to them. And there will come a point where the bottom line is, if you can't change the people, change the people. And, uh, you know, I think you have to work very hard to accommodate, manage, and uh, help develop and change. We had a number of England players over the, over the 12 years leading up to 2014 who were removed from the elite squad for a variety of reasons. You know, non-adherence, um, poor behavior, not fitting in. Uh, maybe they, they had lost their level, whatever it might be. And all the players to my knowledge, that we removed from the squad over that period went on to win a World Cup. So you can change behaviour. You can get them to understand the reason. And, and, and this is the thing. It has to be a shared vision and it has to be a clear why. If the coach isn't honest with the player, then the player won't know the reason and will continue to uh, devolve. So you have to sit them down and say, right, we set these goals. These were your goals and you haven't met them. And you have to do it as often as possible face to face or at least on a telephone call. And if as a coach, you can't manage that, 
within whatever age group it is, then you shouldn't be coaching. Yeah, there's a lot more to coaching than just coaching the sport, isn't there? Um, so you're you're about to go into a, a new role now with London Irish as well. So um, congrats on that, of course. And it's great to see Thank some, you very much. some new women's teams popping up. Um, I think it'll be very interesting to see how, how they get on now in the future. So you're going into a brand new team. Um, obviously, you have a lot of experience. You know what kind of culture you like. You know the basics of... Um, you know, identifying leaders and all this kind of stuff. So what would be your thought process going into this scenario? So you've got, you know, an extended squad of 30 players who maybe they don't know each other or they're just getting to know each other. How do you make them become a team? First of all, you need to have a shared vision. They, they need to understand your vision, but you need to understand theirs and the two need to meet. Uh, secondly, uh, we we need to build a leadership group. We need to find out who the leaders are. Too many. I had this conversation with a friend yesterday. Too many people misunderstand what is um, player empowerment and what is player power. Too many coaches allow player power when actually they miss the point of what player empowerment is. And and, and Steve Kerr, the basketball coach who used to play with um, Michael Jordan at the Chicago Bulls. He's a very famous coach now, Steve Kerr, and everything his ethos is about is the team. He said, it's not about me, it's about them. And I totally believe that. But when you're building a new team, when you're building um, with players that are, you know, he, he buys a, a, a 10 million pound basketball player that goes from one million pound club or multi-million pound club to another, I get a player come from Teddington to London Irish, then the situation is different. I have to give her the vision. I have to give her the inspiration. Why am I, why is he asking me to work so hard? Because irrelevant of whether you're paid or not to compete in the premiership against Saracens, against Harlequins and all those, players are going to have to train at least 10 to 11 times a week, okay? And it's hard work. So they have to understand the why, then they have to have the commitment. Some will, some won't. Most important part about that, again, in the culture, is to leave nobody adrift. So if somebody comes in into any environment, and we did this, going way back with North Midlands Youth Development Officers with David Rose, who, who became a Premiership referee, we used to say, we're going to take these kids to North Midlands under-14s, of which Jordan Crane was the captain, and when we say you're not ready, that's, that's their England. That's their pinnacle at that moment in time. They're going to be devastated. The parents are going to want to know why. So we work very hard on having a fallback and not a fallout. So they fall back into the game, they don't fall out of the game. And that, for me, is the most important part of an elite process in the women's premiership or the men's premiership, or whatever it might be, that they come back to rugby. Because that could be your next coach, it could be your next manager, your next administrator. You know, and, and at the moment with London Irish, we've got the emeralds for those players to come back to because... It's not for everybody. You play ten weeks in the in, in the, the women's premiership, and you think, Do you know what? I, I I think I'd rather have my social rugby and less pressure, and that's fine. 
that's absolutely fine. Got no problem with that. But we've also got to make sure that they're valued and 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 and, and people have got to be treated with fairness. And and you know, I'm I'm very proud of the fact that most of my friends, if I say very close friends, are all women from England. We still keep in touch. We still talk. Um, so there's no problem with creating friendships in, in, in a player-coach situation. But all those players, you can go and speak to any of them. They will tell you, Smith, you had a line. And if you cross the line, it was your problem, not his. <laughs> so, um, you know, so it, it is important that we, we give everybody a shared vision. This, this is what we want to achieve. And to do this, we need to know the steps that we have to take you know, physical, mental, technical, tactical, strength and conditioning, nutrition, skills, skills, uh, position specific skills, uh, mental health. It goes on and on and on, you know, and, and, and that all falls into the category of commitment, which would be another one of the values. Brilliant. Yeah, it does. It takes an awful lot, especially in the women's game, unfortunately, at the moment, because it is um, amateur or semi-professional, depending where you are. Um, you have to give an awful lot of your time and your commitment and your energy. Um, and I think it, ta- it definitely takes special people. But um, from an outsider's point of view, from my point of view, you would almost say, you know, for them to be even looking to be involved at that level, hopefully they have those kind of characteristics of the commitment of um, the interest of being team players and that kind of thing, um, just because they're, they're attending. So if you have a player, say, for example, who's won a World Cup, What's going to make them want to continue to play rugby or continue to coach in rugby, be involved in rugby at anything? What do you, as a coach, um, need to help on that pathway? Obviously, don't annoy them <laughs> too much. My, my easiest answer to that is speak to Rachel Burford about uh, her win on Saturday. Yeah. Sunday. Because Rachel won a World Cup, so why was she so, so driven on Sunday? You know? Um, and, and you can go into all sorts of reasons why Harlequin, Saracens, rivalry and all the rest of it. Saracens have won the last three, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, Rochelle Clark, why is Rochelle Clark still playing? She's 40 years old. I told her four years ago to stop playing, but <laughs> she, she never listened to me anyway, so it didn't matter. <laughs> um, and, uh, you know, but Rocky is... is, is Rocky's the most driven person I think I've ever met um, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, she will carry on playing. I have no doubt she'll play again next season. Um, you know, why? I don't know. You'd have to speak to her. But, but um, you look at, on the one end, you look for that drive. Pure talented players, yes, of course we look for them. But there's many talents that make a player and make a squad. and And that... I, I want to look into somebody's eyes and see if there's some soulless aggression. Because if you've got that, then there's a hell of a lot you can do with it. You know, people say, who's the most skillful player in the world or whatever, Dan Carter, um, Brian O'Driscoll, Richie McCaw or whoever. Um, what, why, why them? What about the tight head prop? What about the second row? You know, what about the wing fullback? Rugby is such a diverse game with its positions that I don't think you can ever say this was the best player in the 
in the world because if you stuck Dan Carter at loose head prop against Carl Heyman, he wouldn't run a meter. <laughs> you know, so it's about when I'm watching a group of under 14s play. I'm looking for something that's different, somebody that doesn't give up, somebody that's always active, somebody that picks a teammate up, somebody that isn't just got good footwork or speed or whatever, um, but somebody that you think, right, that's that's a future captain or that's a future, uh, to use a, 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 an Ian McGeekin analogy, years and years ago, and I still think this applies, and I think it applies in the women's premiership, actually. He said, for an international team, you need five world-class players. You need five international class players and you need five dogs. And I still think that is relevant today, mm-hmm. you know, because it's the, it's the dogs that glue you together. Yeah. And it's the dogs that play off the international and the world-class players. And it's the dogs that keep you the ball. If you have a dog that is also a very good player, then that's, you know, uh, Scout Brits, Scout Berger, um, uh, Lewis Moody, you know, these these were dogs of war, but they could also play a bit. So you've got to look for that balance of the spine of your team. It would be great if all your international world-class players were two, eight, nine, 10, 15, or 13. Yeah, that, that, that would be the spine of the team, and then you build everything around it. Um, but... Um, it's looking for players that offer you something different and, and something that isn't just about the skill set or the fitness, you know, because people may not agree with me here, but, you know, a 16-year-old lad at 120 kilos or a 16-year-old girl at 90 kilos that can move, they may be carrying too much weight, but that, when you say, when you put that, together and look at the shoulders and the hips and you think right that's my box that's my tight head prop then you can you can change the body but they've got that shape where you go right that's that then when you've got somebody who rocks up with jason robinson or nolly waterman's footwork you go fair play that's that you know we've got somebody like that and 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 so that's how you you try and look and build the team um particularly as we're doing Irish from scratch but there, there's, there's interest out there. It's going to be a very challenging but enjoyable couple of years getting this this group together. Yeah, I, I could say so. I, I think it'll be really interesting. And it's a, it's an interesting thought as well, that the type of players that you must have recruited. And from what you're saying of, you know, they are well aware of what the vision is and what the plan is for the next couple of years. So they know there's a challenge ahead of them. And, you know, the fact that you've got people who are likely excited about that challenge, who are looking forward to, to giving it a crack um is is very interesting and like you're saying they're probably the dogs on the team who just want to go out and hit someone and do the best that they can as i said earlier having a shared vision is really really important and having a vision they agree with so when you have a meeting you say this is what i want to do there'll be 50 percent of the room that haven't got the confidence to challenge you so they'll look at it and go okay then there'll be 20 or 30 percent who go oh, i'm not so sure and then there might be 10 to 15 go i'm not sure i do this or get this or okay what do you think right we'll change it 
we have to get that shared vision but once it's a shared vision and it's agreed and the values and the culture is agreed by the players it's then theirs and that's when if it goes wrong you can say look i didn't impose this on you you all agreed with this so you're breaking your own rules or you're breaking your own culture you know so the the days are gone where rugby players could get away with blue when i played we got away with blue murder <laughs> you know there was always three or four policemen in the team so <laughs> you, 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 you know it, it's don't worry we, we sort that out now cameras phones mm -hmm. we'd, we'd be yeah it, it, it would be very interesting <laughs> just on those players then um on you know that 10 or 15 percent who would challenge um, you've spoken as well, as well about the importance of a leadership group and people who maybe would challenge those things. And then, as you say, it's up to the players to um, make sure that, that that culture is followed. And that might come down to your leadership group of making sure that different things are done. Um, so how would you identify leaders in a team? What are the kind of qualities that you, that you would notice first off? Communication, respect for others. Certainly when you're looking for captains, they have to be some of the better players in the team, you know, you, you, they, they've got to earn their place, but they've also probably got to be somebody that would be your two or three first selected in the team, you know, so, you, you, you know, they have to have the ability as well. Um, players who show a good understanding of what you're trying to achieve, that could be the cultures, it could be the game plan, how we want to play and all the rest of it. Um, and then the rest is experience, you know. Uh, you do need experience in there. And, and um, you know, unfortunately, experience comes with time on the field and age. Mm -hmm. I find it a very interesting topic at the moment is that um, idea of a coach's bias. So, obviously, you have a, a certain way you like to play and a certain way that you like your players to communicate and talk on the pitch and that kind of thing. So, obviously, you're going to look for those type of players on your squad who will emulate almost what you're trying to do and maybe I'm very different someone else is very different so um I just I find that a very interesting topic at the moment that just because they're not a leader in your team doesn't mean they wouldn't be a leader on somebody else's team you know that kind no, of not at all and, and if you listen to the podcast that Gary and I did with uh uh Eamon Hogan and Jess Bunyard um we talked about the one or two arguments Gary and I had over the years, and it was only one or two. And one of those was about the captain for the World Cup. And he wanted Katie McLean, I wanted Sarah Hunter. And we were both right. The reasons I wanted Sarah were correct. The reasons he wanted Katie were correct. One of the main reasons for Katie was because Katie could understand and deliver Streety's game plan better than anybody else on the field and it's not just about being on the field it's about that message through training and all the rest of it so um i understood why he made the final call and he was head coach and and this is something maybe something players need to be aware of who might listen to this you can come and challenge me all you want it's not a problem but the final decision is always mine and once it's made that's it no more discussion. And and I, I this is true story. I said to I don't know I said this on the podcast. 
the first England session I did, because I've been asked many times about the difference between um, coaching men and women. When I first did my session with England women, I walked out onto that field and I was very nervous. And I, I said in, in my head, I don't care that they're female. They're rugby players and I'm going to coach them as I've always coached rugby players. That's it. Bang. Over the years, you learn that there is a difference. But there's no difference to the coaching of what you're coaching, the skills, the game understanding. The difference is understanding the individual and understanding how they work. The, 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 if I'm building a scrum that I want to kill people, metaphorically, then all those girls in that scrum have to be bonded as a unit. Men will come together and push and drive and push and drive and then go for a beer. They're bonded. They fight. You know, the, the, the battle is their bonding. But for women to battle, they've got to bond. Okay. And once they're bonded, it became the most dangerous scrum in the world for many years. And, and you know, I've got, I've got the statistics and the track record to prove it. Um, so making sure that they understand why we're doing it, what the outcome is going to be, and how we're going to use it is exactly the same as, as uh, the vision of the club, the vision of, of the game plan, the vision of, of a skill development. You know, I've got a huge skills syllabus document uh, based on um, uh, principles of play. So go forward, um, support, uh, continuity and pressure. And, and uh, so, you know, and I, I, and, and it goes back to honesty as well. And I think if, if any coach out there doesn't share their plans for a session with their players beforehand, you're making a huge mistake. Two things. Tell them what's coming. They can get their heads right. Tell them what's coming. And if they don't turn up for training, you found your weakness. And uh, so it's exactly the same. They need to know what's coming in training because they need to know what's going into the game very interesting point actually and I I found that recently myself where I used to um, now I, I coached in a school so there was no way to communicate the training plan to the guys but you know it, it gave them that bit of um, you know versatility adaptability that they come down and just get on whatever's going but now especially with the, the women's team that I'm coaching um, let them know what's coming beforehand and say for this week we were, we're focusing on contact they're all geared up, they're ready, they're in that mindset where they're going to have to put in an awful lot of effort into their training session to just just from the nature of the skill that they're going to be doing. Um, and it does, it makes a, a big difference and you're very, you're dead right with, you know, you, you definitely notice the people who were here on Monday and didn't show up on Wednesday because we're now doing contact rather than skills and um, it, it, it says an awful lot as well. And I think that's another difficult thing to manage, I would say, um, Hopefully it, it doesn't happen at an elite level, but if it does, you know, I, I'm sure the solution there is a one-on-one -on -one conversation, you know, bring them up to standards, that kind of thing. <laughs> I've, uh, I've coached a few players, male and female, that we were out there smashing crap out of each other and they were just with the physio because oh, this, this hamstring has just tightened up. And then we got to the part where we're playing a game and suddenly they were as fit as a fiddle. The other, the other thing about that, especially if you're coaching uh, women and girls, when you, and, and you don't need to give them your lesson plan. You know, whoever I coach in the future, 
if on that little piece of information I send you and it says Malcolm's reptile walks and bear crawls, you'll know what's coming. And if you don't turn up for training, I'll know why. But um, especially with females, I think you've got to give them the why because the why is part of the vision. Tonight we're doing this because it's part of the process and, and, and the process will be laid out and, and we will stick to that process rigidly because I think it's a big error in coaching where you have a bad day in the office tackling or you have a bad day scrummaging or you have a bad day with the line out. You say, right, we're doing an hour and a half line out tonight. The backs can go over there and do whatever. That's just a big mistake, you know, little and often, especially with an amateur team that can only train twice a week. You've got to plan to have little and often in your sessions. Right. So my last question for you then, Graham, is, you know, end of season is coming up. So we've got, for example, a coach who is trying to plan for preseason. They want to have, say, a team culture talk or a team talk at the start of the season in their preseason setup. What would you advise that they do in that meeting? What would they say? What might they outline? What kind of, you know, bits of culture would you like them to, to instill that you think would work? Uh, what I would suggest is they ask the players and they do it by, if you, if you Google um, uh, core values, you'll get 25 or 30 words or phrases with a definition, right? When I was in Spain, I chose 19 that related to me. And I sent them to all the players, all the coaches, all the parents, all the administration from the club. And I said, all I want you to do is send me back your top four. And then when I got those back, they happened to be respect, humility, commitment, integrity. Okay. And I said, right, this is what you've asked for. These are your cultures. You, you've asked for these, the whole spectrum um, in the club. And then you say, right. So if we've all agreed that these are our top four, um, values to build our culture on then that's where we'll start but that's so easy to do you know if you look at the work that Gary Street and I did together and before Gary uh, Jeff Richards did together to get to what I believe is one of the one of the strongest cultures in a team I've ever experienced and, and outside people said this as well to the 2014 World Cup that took 12 years with a lot of bumps on the road and over that 12 years, we were winning a huge amount of games. You know, we beat New Zealand five out of six and drew the, the sixth game in that time period. So if it takes that when you've got such a winning culture, how, would it, how long would it take when maybe you, you're, you're fighting for parity on the field as well? So it's hard work. It, it doesn't come easy. No, I'd say it takes a fair few years to instill. It's good to have a, a good leadership group behind you and probably good to have an awful lot of cohesion amongst not only coaches, but also, as you say, with administration, with the director of rugby in the club and that kind of thing. Have a, a shared club value rather than just, you know, that one person wants to do this, that one person has a different goal. Make sure that everyone's on the same page and that you can work towards the same goal as well. I like to think I'm approachable, but over the years, my body language sometimes gets in the way of that. But um, 
also over some of those periods of time i was nearly 20 stone so that used to put people off as well i wouldn't say this now but i did say it to the players in 2006 it's 2003 2004 when i first got the job with england okay i'm right until you prove me wrong but when you come with something to prove me wrong you better make sure it works and <laughs> all the all the England girls just saw that as a huge challenge and said right let, <laughs> let's get something on him and they just kept throwing stuff at me throwing stuff at me and uh, but but it it led to something different that did change um and 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 also it, it, it because I challenged them, it gave me a greater understanding of the way they were challenging me. And, and um, you know, when I said about the uh, uh, sharing your uh, lesson plan with the girls or, or, or your session with the, the players that you're going to do over that week, then answering a couple of the why questions before they ask them is a really, a really good skill as a coach to have with girls and women, you know, because men in the Northampton Academy, Wasps Academy, 18 years old, I want to be a professional rugby player. Oh, you want me to hit my head against that wall? Yeah, I can do that. Girl's going to look at you and go, you think I'm stupid? <laughs> Why would I do that? And if you can say, well, the reason to do that is this. Okay, then they'll go, okay, I'll get that. Bang, I'm happy. I'm happy to have a go. Have a gold bang your head against the wall. Yeah, great. Well, that, that's not a great analogy, but I think you get my point. <laughs> get the point, of course. Um, now, look, Graham, I think we'll wrap it up there. I found that extremely interesting. So, thank you very much again for coming my on. My pleasure. Um, I'd say there's an awful lot of nuggets of, of information there for, for listeners. Um, and just uh, thanks again to our sponsors, Ripped. Um, again, if you want to use the coupon code Locker Room on their website, you get a two months free trial. Um, Graham, I know you're on Instagram and Twitter and the like, and you, you often put up little um, kind of posts and skills and that kind of thing. So, if uh, people want to get in touch with you, I'd say through those couple of channels, is it? Yeah, I've also um, it's on LinkedIn, but uh, he's on uh, Twitter and Facebook. There's a guy in New Zealand uh, called Peter Breen, I think it is, and uh, his company is Rugby Bricks, and he's shared a a couple, uh, two or three very, very good passing exercises today. Um, individual skills with a young player, a young, young girl. Um, very, very simple. Very, very simple. Very basic. But it shows the attention to detail that you need to develop skill. Because anybody out there that thinks you can develop skill in a game, messing about throwing 20 or 30 offloads, you can't. Yeah, yeah. You develop skill by building the technique, putting it under pressure. Technique with pressure equals skill. Yeah. Quite uh, simple. I can definitely uh, back up saying the Rugby Bricks resources are, are brilliant. Very um, good. Also quite like their tees, so that's great. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, that's perfect, Graham. Thank you very much for coming on. My pleasure. Um, and yeah, I'm sure we'll chat soon anyway. All right. Thank you very much.